0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I want to talk to you about building the character of Christ. Uh, One of the things that we've talked about in Jesus School a couple weeks ago, we were talking about character, and and one of the students rightly asked this question, how do I build character in my life? How do I be more like Jesus? And... um, Automatically, I went to Galatians chapter five. So you can turn to your Bible in uh, Galatians chapter five. And we'll get there in a few minutes. There is an upward call to every believer's life. The Lord is calling you upward. To go forward in the kingdom is to go upward. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's this idea of the Lord becoming available to us and giving us the capacity to receive him and understand him and know him there's this kind of paradoxical place in which we live of resting in his presence, resting in relationship with him and also continuing to pursue him. So this is what I mean. There's an upward call as we walk with the Lord that there's always more. I was just reminded this week as we were sharing with some of our leaders of the the last chapter in in the Chronicles of Narnia and C.S. Lewis' book, The Last Battle. They're finally entering what is the Narnian heaven and and. And they want to stop and look at everything. They want to stop and and, and talk to these people. And they keep saying, no, upward and onward. There's more, there's more. It gets better as we go. And there seems to be in every Christian's life this propensity towards coasting, towards maybe your needs being met or you don't have the crisis in your life that you once did or whatever it is. We reach a certain point and we think, "I'm, I'm good now, I'm good. And so we live in this place of resting in who the Lord is, and what he's done in our life and the covenant that he's made with us and also continuing to pursue him. Marriage is a good example of this. This is why marriage is one of the greatest examples of our relationship with the Lord. Within the covenant of marriage, there is a place of of rest in the covenant. We don't have to go out searching. You're not supposed to and you shouldn't go out searching for love anymore because you found that one whom your heart has longed for. So there's a rest and there's a safety in that covenant, right? But then what happens a lot of times in marriage is the pursuit stops. We got a ring on the finger and we think, well, we're good, now we'll just keep living our life and pursuing the American dream. And I'm sorry to say, the American dream is not compatible with the gospel. So within a marriage, you have to continue to pursue the other. And a lot of times we think about that in terms of like, I just wanna like, I want to know, like, I, I want to know knowledge about the person. And then you think, well, I know everything about them. I know, I've heard every single story he tells. I've heard it 45 times, and I know I'm supposed to laugh at this one spot. <laughs> I know, I know all this stuff. But knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge is not pursuit of a person. It's not just about knowing all the things about a person. It's about being with them. It's about loving them with your whole self and allowing them to love you. This is pursuit. And I've found in my life, one of the greatest indicators of um, lukewarmness in my life is when I enter the place of worship and prayer. And what happens in my heart? Has it become boring to me? Do I find myself looking at the clock? Have I put in my time yet today? And again, I'm not talking about lifting our hands at the right moment in worship or, or reading the right portion of scripture that today, that day in your daily reading. I'm talking about a person. That's why we're talking about the presence of the Lord so much. It's not a doctrine. It's not just a theology. It's a person. It's Jesus. If only we could see him clearer. So ask yourself these questions. Jesus. Jesus tells us in Revelation, This is a scripture we all know in chapter 3, right? That you've done all these amazing things for me, but you've forgotten your first love. And then what are his instructions? Go back and do the things you did first. Well, what are the first things? What are the first things you learn to do when you give your life to Jesus? Some of the first things that people instruct you to do is get along with the Lord. Learn that place of prayer and worship. And those words are really synonymous And there, but there's nuanced difference. Worship is the, the declaration of who God is. It is declaring, and it is, but there's this exchange that happens. As we declare the truth of who he is, then he begins to write that truth on our hearts. He realigns our misconceptions about who he is so that we can see who we are in him clearer. Prayer is communing with him. It's just being with him. It's just spending time. Yes, it is offering our petitions before him, the things that are on our heart, but what type of relationship would you have with any person in your life if you only were asking stuff from them? A relationship is just being with them. It's listening. It is communicating what's on your heart and what's going on in your life. I mean, that's what we read in the Psalms. It's communicating with that person. Sometimes it's just being silent. Do you value those relationships with with people that you don't have to just fill the space? You can just be silent with them? I do. I mean, this is what it is to commune with the Lord, to be with him. So ask yourself this question. What is it that I truly desire? Do I love Jesus or do I just love what he does for me? Or do I care more about just fulfilling the requirements or doing great things for him? Trying to impress him with what I do. We know from Matthew 7, he's not impressed by what we do for him. He is impressed. He only understands first love fire. Matthew 7 says, "Not not all of you who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name, done mighty wonders and mighty, uh, mighty cast out demons and, and mighty wonders in your name, and yet I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. We can say Lord with our mouth, but not with our life. He must be Lord. We must know him as Lord, and not just in word only. There's a complacency that plagues the church because we've lost sight of who Jesus is. And that's why we say, and we will continue to say until we're blue in the face, we need a greater vision of Jesus. We need to see him clearer. If we find ourselves in this place of complacency, it can be difficult to experience continual change. We seem to plateau. I had a conversation with a friend recently that really made me th- start thinking. We, he has been doing counseling, um, and his counselor told him, "You know, I very rarely um, see people change." And I thought, "Well, that's a sad thing to go to work to do every day. <laughs> it's like not see every anyone change." And I started to think about that in my own, my own life. Like, okay, because I'm with people all the time, and do I see people change? And I look at my own life and I say, well, thank God I've changed. Thank the Lord he changed me. Thank the Lord that he didn't just change me. He gave me a new life. And I see people all over changed by the power of the gospel. But then I also see many people who do not, who remain in that same place. I know there's many people that say they want to change, but really they don't want to change. They just want the pain to stop. Or they just don't want to experience the consequences of their decisions any longer. So they want to change just enough so they can stop experiencing these things. But they're not so sick of their sin and what they're doing, what it's doing to their life or what it's doing to their loved ones that they're saying, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to lay whatever I need to lay down to be transformed. There was once a man in a church that I was a part of that had gotten out of prison and started coming to our church and he'd given his life to the lord and and the lord had changed him he was a different person well there was there's some people in the church that found out that he had been in prison and, and didn't want him in our church any longer and i'd start it made me so mad <laughs> because you know obviously we need to we need to be smart maybe that's why we have a safety team we have different things but said, do we believe in this gospel do we actually believe it if we believe in the gospel's ability to change a life, then we have to, that will inform what we think about the people that give their lives to the Lord. So what does it take to change? The First question you ask yourself, do I really want to change? Do I really want to change? I mean, and i found, you've heard me say this before, but I've found the person thats I, I have the hardest time being honest with is myself. Do you really want to change? And then the deeper question is, and this is a question we ask almost daily at Jesus School, do I want to be like Jesus? Because we can change ourselves into a better you, right? The you you always dreamed of. But I'm sorry to say that you falls so short of what God's designed for your life. He wants to conform you into his image. This is the call in your life. So then you ask yourself, do I want to be like Jesus today? And if you can't answer yes to that question, you have bigger problems. But if you answer yes, then that has implications that come with it. I want to be like Jesus, then I'm going to have to change some things in my life. There is this tension that we live in as believers. We have a responsibility to our life, and yet it's the Lord who does the changing. So sometimes we sit back in our pew and say, Lord, when you want to change me, you'll just change me. Or some do the opposite, or the other extreme, which is just like work, 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 strive, 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 strive. Really hard to change yourself. If I can just learn all the how-to's, then I can be the best me possible. But that's not it either. There is this tension of walking in the presence of the Lord. Allowing God to convict your heart. And then you doing everything in your power and your responsibility to steward that. Amen? Yes. So, the question of the hour is how do we build the character of Christ in our life? Galatians 5. This is not primarily what this scripture is about, but it does um, it does explain this very clearly. They're having issues in the church in Galatia because there are some who became followers of Jesus but also wanted to continue um, having this expectation that people needed to follow the Jewish law as well as following Jesus and Paul is pretty emphatic you can read it for yourself about that's not the way but in chapter five my my heading says life in the spirit Yours might say that as well, but it is, it is just kind of like this this little excerpt of like helping us pursue the Lord and become more like him. So in verse 13, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's a good word right there. That word brothers and sisters in the Greek is adelphos. It means brothers and sisters born of the same father. That's not talking about that we all in this place have the same dad, not earthly dad, it means that we are all, as children of God now, we've been adopted and grafted into his, his kingdom, his family. Now we are all sons and daughters of the same father. So it doesn't matter what our background is, it doesn't matter what our skin color is, or our family origin, or any of that stuff, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. We are his children. And then he says, you were called to be free. The word called there actually means called by name. He's called you by name to walk in freedom. This is a promise of the Lord. So if if you're not free today, the Lord is calling you by name. He knows your name. He's calling you out of whatever you're bound up in, whatever you're, you're, you're struggling with, and he's called you to be free. But then he says this, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. So don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh again. It's kind of like if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you have all this debt, and I'm gonna pay off all your credit card debts. I know you've been silly, you've been buying all this stuff you shouldn't have been buying, and you know what, I'm gonna pay it off for you. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. All of a sudden, your slate is clean, no more debt. The next day you're like, you know what, that Corvette is looking pretty sweet. Let's go pick one of those bad boys up. Yeah, let's do all the features, all the, I don't know, Kyle could tell me what, what, what's all on the Corvette. But. All of a sudden again, you're enslaved to debt. Someone someone gave you that free pass out of debt and now all of a sudden you're, 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 you're back enslaved to debt again. So he says, don't do that. But rather, what's the antidote for that? But serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting, reminding them of what Jesus had said. So if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or or you will be destroyed by one another. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so they are not, So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Man, we've all been there, haven't we? You feel that, that, that battle between the flesh and, your, and, your, your, and the spirit of God. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about habitual sin. Those who live like this. There can be this place of self-condemnation that you walk in. Uh, on this side of 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 eternity, we live in this place of being purified by the blood of Jesus. He has washed you clean. You are justified before the Father. When he sees you, he sees you cleansed of all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John uh, chapter 1 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will forgive your sins. He was faithful to forgive your sins and purify you of all unrighteousness. This is the promise. So we live in that place of being justified before the Father, but we're not automatically made perfect, are we? There's this place of this perfectness, this, what I was talking about before, this upward call of the Lord perfecting us, of, of creating us more in his likeness. And so he has this long list and it kind of hits on everything. When you think you're, you're, you're off the hook, you're like, well, I'm not in witchcraft. Um, you're like, oh, nuts. But jealousy, selfish ambition, that means living for yourself, drunkenness, factions, dissension, all that gross stuff. He's not talking about just like a, like a one-time mistake, because we're not sinless. We still have the ability to sin, but we've been washed by the blood, so we're clean. But that means now we have to live a different way. So he says, the people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So people, I just want to... Explain that for people this morning. Verse 22 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. So number one, how do we build the character of Christ in our life? Well, the character of Christ is born in his presence. He uses this phrase throughout Galatians 5, walk by the spirit, being led by the spirit, those who live by the spirit, who stay in step with the spirit. This is the lifestyle that we see of Paul of being a a man of the presence of the Lord being in the spirit. There's a reason that the fruit of the spirit is called the fruit of the spirit and not the spirit of you. <laughs> if you want to be like him, you need to be with him. You need to know what he's like. You need to allow him to speak into the deep parts of, of who you are, to roust out the things that are not pleasing. So that's why you don't need a greater vision of, for your life if you don't have a greater vision of Jesus. We need to know him. We need to know him. Look at the Gospels. Look at every encounter that people have with Jesus. They are changed. They are either repelled, disgusted by him, offended, or they're drawn to him. And their lives are changed forever. So listen, we're not looking for, we're not experience seekers. We're not just living from experience to experience, but with any relationship, there is experience. We're not seeking an experience but we're seeking a person and when you have a relationship with a person you will have experiences with them does that make sense so as we walk with him it's colossians 3 it says we put off the old self and we put on our new self which is being renewed into the image of his son jesus This is the call of God in your life. If you're looking for one of the, the, the tenets of the will of God for your life, this is it. To be like him. To know him and to be like him. To be renewed in his presence. 1 John chapter three, verse 23, this should be on the screen, it says, he says this, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. That word know is like, is an experiential understanding that you know it by, by experiencing it. And I love reading about John. He, uh, I've been in the gospel of John for about the last year and a half and I just can't seem to move on from it because he paints just such this beautiful picture of Jesus. I know he skips over a lot of details, but he gives us like this, this such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And I was looking back this week and looking at the first encounter that we see from John and it's pretty, it seems pretty inconsequential. It's not like a huge story. It's a little It's a story really about Peter and Andrew and then they keep walking and it says, and there's James and then he also had a brother, John. And Jesus says, follow me. And they just leave it. They leave the family business. They leave their dad with the servants, or with his hired hands on the boat and say, we're gonna go follow this this rabbi, Jesus. I I long to see the, the replay of that in heaven someday of what that encounter was like because they saw something. John always had this, this natural bent in his heart towards the Messiah. He called himself the one whom Jesus loved, (laughs) which I always loved that about John. He's like, I'm the one he loved. Like, he loved everybody, but he really loved me. (laughs) And then you read about what John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation, one of the crazy experiences that we've ever had documented, where the Lord takes John to heaven and to see this miraculous scene unfolding. But where does it start? In verse nine of chapter one, it says, I was in the Lord's, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a voice. Here was a man who had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, left there to die. Ministry over, an old man. Ministry over, it's all gone, it's all dead. The dream is dead. People are being martyred all around him and he's taken to this island to die and what does he do? He does not have a pity party but he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In chapter four, he says, John, come up. I want to show you things you've never, no one's seen. Man, thank God he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he came back off that island one day. A boat came. And then he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are about love. How do you learn about love? Well, 1st John 3 says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He goes on to say that God is love. If you want to know what love is, seek the author of it. Do you remember the first time that you experienced his presence? For some of you, it might have been very recent. It might be even this morning where you experienced God's presence. For you. you can't even fully understand it or explain it to somebody. I remember being in a, 20 years old in a, a treatment facility that was basically go get better or go to prison, and I remember opening God's Word for the first time since I was a little kid, and reading Psalm eighteen, and the Lord speaking to me. It's the first encounter that I'd had with the Lord since I was a child. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, "Tony, I want to deliver you because I delight in you. I deliver you because I delight in you." And I, honestly, I didn't have a paradigm in my life for the words of what that meant to me. I said, Lord, there's nothing to delight in here. I am full of shame. I'm full of regret. I'm full of sin. And Jesus said, I see something better in you. We need to be people of his presence. This is your inheritance as as children of God. You have been redeemed You have been washed in the blood, so now the Spirit of God lives in you, and you can walk with him all of the days of your life. And if you don't, it's because we choose not to. Psalm 91 begins, he says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells, dwells means lives, he who dwells In the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Whose place is it? It's the Most High, it's His place. And He allows us to come and to dwell there. And then you can read Psalm 91, and these are all of the the benefits of the person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High protection and provision and healing. The same is true with Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If he is not your Lord, the rest of the Psalm is inco- it doesn't mean anything to you. If he's not your Lord, but if he's your Lord, then you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with you. So, in his presence, this is I'm going to just give you this really quick. If you write this down and you do this, this will change your time with the Lord, and it's very simple. In his presence, we must give him our attention. That seems very obvious, doesn't it? But it's, it's not to most. We must give him our, our attention and then listen. We then, we respond in worship. So we give him our attention, we listen, we respond with worship and then we obey. We need an encounter with the living Christ. So how to build the character of Christ in your life? First, it is born in, the, in his presence, born in the spirit. Second, it's forged in family. interesting that so much of New Testament writing is written. We do these things in the context of his family. The family of God is the first place where the fruit of the Spirit is put into action. In verse 13, it says, you, my brothers and sisters are called to be free, but do not use those your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another in humility, in love. He goes on to say in verse 22, or in verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit make no sense outside the context of family. It makes no sense. If you live out in the woods by yourself, how do you get to show patience to anyone? How do you get to show kindness to anyone unless it's like a Snow White situation where the animals gather around you and you're very kind to the animals, but that's not a reality that we live in, right? The fruit of the spirit are meant to be put in practice in the context of family, with people. And the fruit of the spirit are, are really just the attributes of him. Like I said before, he is love. He is love. Ephesians two says it's his loving kindness that he sent Jesus for us. He loves us. So if you know the love of the Lord, you'll have joy and you'll have peace in your life. Psalm 1611, Says that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy. He emanates joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus, right? Who, what is Hebrews 12 says, who Jesus, who the joy sat before him, endured the cross. He is joy. It is, it emanates from who he is. If you know the love of God, you'll have joy. You'll also have peace. What does Jesus say in John 20 when he appears to the apostles or to the disciples? After he's been crucified, he shows up and the first thing he says, the risen Christ, he says, peace be with you. Those words would have made no sense if Jesus hadn't been standing right in front of them. But now... He's saying, Peace be with you because Jesus was with them. He is peace. He is the Prince of peace, the Bible says. And then we have patience, or another uh, translation is long suffering. <laughs> Who signs up for long suffering? Not many people. But if you have love, then you'll have joy and peace. If you have joy and peace, you'll have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. He suffers long. Has anyone ever suffered long with you? We had a sick kid last night, so we were up a lot of the night suffering long. (laughs) The Bible says that God is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He is patient. He is kind. Paul says that it's his kindness that leads to repentance. He is good the psalms say continually that he is good and his love endures forever, forever. He is faithful. Psalm 100 says that his faithfulness endures through all generations. He is gentle. In John 6, it says that it's the father who draws your heart. So he doesn't make anyone follow him. He woos you. He woos you. He says, come, experience who I am. Know who I am. See that I am gentle, that I am humble of heart. And self-control, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Listen, all of these fruit of the Spirit are birthed in, in the Spirit. And then they're put into practice and they're forged and they're in your life in community. You could tell me all day long, You know, I'm the most patient person around, and I'd say, oh cool, tell me about an instance in which you had to be patient. Well, I just am, it's just the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Okay, cool, can you tell me of a time in which you're, well no, I don't really spend time with people, so. (laughs) That's always a fun one, isn't it? If the Lord's like, we're gonna work on patient in your life, you're like, no, (laughs) not that one. Can we do a different one, a more fun one, where my patience is not tested? Anything that is lasting in your life has to be tested. It has to be tested. It has to go through the fire and come out on the other side. And that means that anything that is not of the Lord gets burned off, gets is chaff, And what's pure and what's true remains. And I say in my life, I want real love. I want authentic love for people, not an act that I'm putting on. I want the real peace of God that doesn't ask for me just to be, for God to take me out of every situation that I experience, but rather to have peace in the midst of a storm. I want the joy of the Lord that doesn't make sense to other people. I'm not talking about happiness, I'm talking about joy that transcends circumstance. This is what I want in my life. When I'm by myself, I want self control when no one else is looking. I wanna be the same man behind closed doors as I am with, when I'm around 100 people. I want to test it in the fire, and that only happens in the context of family. For some of you, that's good news, and for some of you, that's bad news. I used to have a real problem after I gave my heart to the Lord. I've shared this with some of you, but after I gave my heart to the Lord, I I had a real problem with my mouth. I've always been very quick-witted, and that got me into a lot of trouble in my life, a lot of fights before I knew the Lord. And so after I gave my heart to the Lord, I would make a lot of jokes that I thought were funny that no one else thought was funny. And I didn't have enough self-awareness to see that no one else was laughing. (laughs) And I had good friends in my life that said, hey Tony, uh, I know you maybe thought that was funny and you razz people like that, but that wasn't funny. Oh, I thank God for people in my life that would call out blind spots in me. I consider real friends are those who tell you if you have something in your teeth. (laughs) If you have a booger hanging out of your nose, right? Those are your real friends. If I'm spending time with a bunch of people and I realize that there was something weird happening and nobody told me, I was like, I thought we were friends. (laughs) It's forged in family and the third is this. It's cemented over time. So it's born in the spirit, it's forged in family and it's cemented over time. In verse 16, it says, walk by the Spirit. That word, walk by the Spirit, it means to live in the Spirit. And it also means to make use of every opportunity. God's not impressed by our discipline, but God will meet us when we give ourselves opportunities to spend time with him. If you say, I never experienced the Lord, but you never spent any time with him, you're not going to. Unless it's like a road to Damascus experience where Jesus shows up when you're riding your horse to Damascus. And that does happen, obviously. But you have to put yourself in a place. That's why it's important to be for church, to, the gathering of the people to be a priority in your family. For your kids, to put your kids in a place to experience the presence of the Lord. If they're raised one day and they look back in their life and said, I never really saw Anyone get healed, I never saw, I never experienced uh, the presence of God in my own life. We went to church maybe once every few months or every other week or something like that. It's like, no, no, in, whether it's here as we gather or in your home, we need to put ourselves in a place for, to experience the presence of the Lord and for our kids to experience the presence of the Lord, to live by the Spirit, to walk consistently with the Lord. And it's consistency over time that takes these characteristics of Christ from something that you have to strain and strive for to make happen and makes them an overwhelming reality in your life. It's inter, intertwine, inter, interwoven with the very DNA of who you are, the fabric of who you are. Again, back in 1 John chapter three, it says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in him. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. The one who keeps, this con- speaks to consistency over time. I meet with people or talk with people and you know, I, I give them some instruction or some ideas on some things to do and they'll come back, well I tried that for a week and it didn't work. I'm like, well okay, I'm sorry. That's not long enough. <laughs> we want to be renewed in our minds? The renewing of the mind, as Romans 12 says, happens as we walk with the Lord over time. You didn't get like that overnight. And it's part of the drawing near in relationship with the Lord that he doesn't just do it like this all the time. He can, and sometimes he does, but more often he's, he's interested in relationship. He's interested in walking with you. He's interested in you drawing close to him. And in the drawing close, we become more like him. So the one who keeps God's commandments, and by commands, that's like the the revealed will of God, so in scripture there are there's certain things that we see as the dos and do not do nots you can look at like Matthew five or six or seven when Jesus says, "Do this, don't do this that's the revealed that 's like his command it's like we don't need we don't need discernment to know whether or not we should or shouldn't murder someone we just know that that's And we also know that to hate in our heart is like murder. So we shouldn't hate in our heart. So that's the revealed will of God. That's like what He's talking about in command. But then He talks about what pleases the Lord. He says we do what He commands, but we also do what pleases the Lord. And this is happens in the context of relationship. We see God's revealed will in His Scripture. Then, you know, if you're watching a TV show, nothing in here says you shouldn't watch this specific TV show, right? And so a lot of times we let ourselves off the hook and say, well, it doesn't say that right here. But that's why we walk in spirit and in truth. We walk with the spirit and we walk with truth. And as your heart remains tender to the Lord, he'll say, this isn't really pleasing to me. Or how you spoke to your wife wasn't really pleasing to me. Or those thoughts that you had, those dishonoring thoughts that you had towards a coworker, do not please me. And in the context of relationship, then we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. And if our hearts remain tender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we will listen. There's this concept of judgment or judging others in scripture, but there's two different kinds of judgment. Judgment. Jesus talks about judging not in his Sermon on the Mount, and that type of judgment means to like condemn a person in your heart. That means to make judgments about their identity, so they are the sin that they do. They um, they lied because they are a liar, and that's what we are called. We're not called to do because we're saying something about that person that the Lord is not saying and so to that is sin but Paul talks about type of a judgment that is that is different it's like if you're at the grocery store and you're picking up avocados and you're looking at all the different avocados what are you doing? you're inspecting the fruit to see if it's any good and we are called to inspect the fruit in one another's life not so that we can heap judgment but that we can know whether or not we should model our lives after that person have you ever met one of your heroes? I have and Recently, we had Dr. Michael Brown here, and I was nervous, because I was like, man, I have a lot of love and respect for this guy, and I just hope he's awesome. And he was, he was super awesome. He's better than I actually, better than I imagined. But Drew and I used to travel in a band, and there was this one band that we just really, really loved. Their songs just really like, meant a lot to us, and we got to play with them one time, and we went and talked to him, and we were so disappointed. My youngest brother, Bryce, has this way of asking questions, we call him Bryce questions. <laughs> that he'll just ask what he's thinking. So he walked up to the bass player, and he's like, hey, so tell me about your walk with Jesus. And the bass player said, well, you have to talk to the singer about that. And my brother goes, I have to talk about, to the singer about your walk with Jesus? We didn't become friends with them. Uh, they didn't want to hang out with us. That's the type of judgment or inspection that we can see, that we look at someone's life, and we can see the fruit from their life. And say, this is someone that I, I, I want to live, I want to be like. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul's life has a life of fruitfulness because of faithfulness over time. Faithfulness over time, even through difficulty. And this is honestly where a lot of it is formed. James 1, um, and worship team, you guys can come. In James 1, he says this. This is a scripture most of us know. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, there's that word again. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Many times we don't let perseverance finish its work in our life we throw in the towel too soon or we change direction for the the path of least resistance instead of allowing the, the grace of God to empower us to walk through this difficult situation so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Upward call. Do you want to be like Jesus? I ask myself that question several times a day. When my kids, every once in a while, they're little rascals. And I want to respond harshly and I say, Do I want to be like Jesus? I want to correct and discipline, I don't want to punish. certain things get stirred in my heart towards someone else. I ask myself, do I want to be like Jesus? Who, from the cross, bleeding out, unrecognizable, said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.